Welcome to Movies to Watch Before the End of the World. Two film buff friends decide to spend their remaining days creating and watching the ultimate movie bucket list. A podcast filled with film discussions, movie reviews, and a healthy dose of juicy celebrity gossip. Cinephiles unite. We're going to need each other. Ader, bud. Okay, because it's Canadian? Yeah. Okay. What would you have done? I have no idea. I actually was thinking, I'm like, I wonder what she's going to do. Every week, Nadim, you judge me on my choice of how to intro this episode, but yet you have not come to anything. (laughs) You've not brought anything to the table of how these intros can go. I know, but that's your thing. So I went with A Dare Bud. (laughs) Bud, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one way of doing it. You know what? Yeah. So many A's this episode, eh? So, so many A's this episode. How's it going? <laughs> I'm well. How are you? Okay. I'm refined. Just, it's not sticking. It's not sticking. It doesn't stick the landing. Do I need to come up with a new one? Do we Maybe. Think? Maybe for season three, you come up with a new saying. I just feel like that's forced in itself. But maybe just like play like, around. Do you want me to be like, things? I'm sunshine, lollipops, and oh, I daisies? Don't want that. Yeah, I would stop exactly. you because I can't do that every episode. Right, exactly. And I can't living do and living and breathing like, every episode. I, I need to position myself in a positive way because I think whenever I say I'm living and breathing, and then I just remember the sorrow that is COVID 19. <laughs> and now it is. Because that's where it came from. That's where it came from. Yeah. Okay. okay. I respect that. And then I think I respect about those choices. The like, Thousands of people, millions of people who are not living and breathing because of COVID-19. Oh, Mita, that just took a dark turn unnecessarily. (laughs) You can cut it out. We didn't need to go there. You can cut it out if you want. If you're listening to this, Nadim was too lazy to edit it out. But (laughs) No, I just like the flow. Sometimes the joke works. Sometimes Sometimes. it lands. Sometimes it doesn't. Okay. Well, Well, I'm here. <laughs> Fine, I guess that's what we'll stick. Present. <laughs> so Mita and I are going to have a fight on air, but oh. before we do that, <laughs> we watch two movies quickly. Let's just quickly talk about them. Okay, yeah. I watched Licorice Pizza. Did you yes. watch it? And me, I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it yet. Okay. No, but Mita and I also went and saw Scream Five. Oh together. my god, I forgot about that. I know it's been a while. It's been a couple weeks since we've seen it. Yeah, we'll start with Scream Five then, because we both Quick saw thoughts. it. I found Scream 5 to be very entertaining. And mm-hmm. after we left the theater, I had said to you, like, I want to see it again. <laughs> and I kind of still want to. Like, I want to okay. have that ent- joy again. I don't want to pay for it, but yeah. I do want to watch it again because I think that it does fit well with the Scream franchise, if you will. Like, it yeah. is very entertaining. It puts a twist on, like, what we expect from horror movies. It has something to say about fandom and people's obsession with things and i really Mm -hmm. like what it's saying about it i think it's interesting very predictable if you watch Mm -hmm. movies because we literally walked out we before we went in we both guessed who we thought the killer was and we did guess correctly and that was just based off the poster so yeah Very predictable, but that's kind of what you should get when you watch a movie like that. And I I really enjoyed it, and I had a good time. Yeah, I had a good time. I enjoyed it. I thought it fits well into the canon, like, very nicely. Scream itself as a franchise is average at worst. It's a solid franchise. The movies are quite entertaining. They're quite well made. They will never get up to the level of one. 
So no. I don't think anyone has that expectation. But it's a fun watch. Is it winning an Oscar? No. Is it a movie to watch before the end of the world? No. But it's super entertaining while you watch it. Incredibly predictable, which sucks because I think the first couple still had levels of unpredictability about them. Mm-hmm. And I think the more they come out with, it's harder to be unpredictable. And I think like Scream 2, I might be wrong about this, but from what I remember or from what I remember reading on the old like IMDb boards when they used to have IMDb boards, yeah. um, was Scream 2 suffered from like a lot of script leaks. And so they oh, they yeah. had to like reshoot a lot of like the ending mm-hmm. or like have multiple ideas of what was happening there. And they kind of play on that in Scream 3 when they're um, in the staff franchise. They're like, what do yeah. you mean it's page this? Like I got a different one the other day or whatever. Where was my thought with that? <laughs> I <don't> completely <laughs> lost it. Yeah, completely I lost it. I was licorice that. pizza. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> licorice pizza was interesting. Okay. I I think I'm you've made me more brown than I once was. When I was watching it, I was like young 20s me that would have like really enjoyed this and think it was so yeah. cool or maybe I just kind of was a little bit of like a hipster in that time. I feel like yeah. this is the movie for hipsters and for Paul Thomas Anderson fans. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It does strike me as that. I haven't seen it yet, yeah. but that's exactly what it strikes me as. It's very much him, and it is a lot about what he grew up around and, like, what mm-hmm. was his surroundings, which I just can't really relate to on any level. Like, I... Yeah. And I don't want to spoil things. There's just... There's no, parts of this movie that are based on actual people, mm-hmm. but, they, but they're based on. And, like, I don't understand why you would do something... Based on and not tell their actual story. Mm. And a lot of licorice pizza reminds me of just like a very, you know, okay. It reminds me of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood quite a bit. In a good way? In the, yes, the parts that I liked about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Yeah, are definitely there. But I just feel like I've seen that. I watched that a couple of years ago. Like, why am yeah. I watching this again? Mm-hmm. I do think Alana Haim is actually really good in it. Like, surprisingly good but i also know he wrote this specifically for her and knew her very well so i think he kind of knew what he was doing there yeah yeah like wrote it for her talents yeah and so um it'll be she's like made it clear now in the media that she's like looking to do other movies so it'll be interesting Mm. to see like what she can bring to the table but she she is it is a really good performance on her part there is something that I need to say, but I don't want to spoil it because it is kind of like a big thing in the movies. I'm not going to say it, but please so watch you can't it. can't say it. So that... I want to see it soon. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Yeah. Once you see it, we'll talk about it. But yeah. Okay. I'm going to, like, out of five, mm-hmm. take a three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why it has... I don't know why it won, what, National Board Review? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. but I think National Board sort of has hard on for P.T. Anderson, so... Mm, that's fair. That's and I that. just, I'm not quite too sure where all this hype comes in, but yeah. Again, P.T. Anderson is a little overhyped yeah. as a director. I mean, Boogie Nights is amazing. I, I was just about to say, <laughs> except for Boogie Nights. And I, I actually think, really I enjoyed that first movies, part of Magnolia. Yeah, I don't think his other movies reach the greatness of Boogie Nights mm-hmm. or even the ballsiness of Magnolia. Mm-hmm. They're kind of repetitious. Yeah. But anyways. But yeah. That's for another time. Licorice Pizza. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
So Mita uh, sent me a question right before actually we were recording, and she's just like, are we going to talk about this? Do you want to so preface it? Quickly? I briefly saw something. I didn't actually get to read any of the actual source that it came from. But yes. what I what I saw and what I know of, because then I was like, do I look into this more? And I was like, nah, I think this will be a more interesting conversation if I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola was, I guess he was interviewed. I don't know what was yeah, happening. why. I actually don't know why, yes. but he was. But he's made a statement that movies like No Time to Die and Dune are relatively the same and that it's just the same car crash like happening over and over and that like there's really no art when it comes to cinema anymore. That's what I understood from what I saw. So no. Okay. So the article was actually more about Marvel. Okay. And how those movies are repetitious. Oh, I only and saw that part. Yeah, <laughs> so essentially what he's saying is that superhero and superhero franchises have become repetitious and boring, and even something original like Dune or No Time to Die are still just like action sequences packed in together. Mm -hmm. That's his kind of gripe. I understand what he's saying. Like, yes, those Marvel movies are rep repetitive. They are still entertaining, though. And where is the money going to come from? What does that mean? What if The Godfather was released today, do you think as many people are going to go to the movie theater and see The Godfather? They're going to buy the tickets. But why is it The Godfather's fault? It's not The Godfather's fault. I'm just saying, like, it's a business, too. It's not just about art. It's about commerce. But at the time, people were paying money to see these things. But not the these, money that they're were, paying now. And but like, people didn't also have that money. But right most now, people's right? mindset, like the studios are just playing into what, I mean, it's like really society's fault if we want to blame anyone. Well, it's absolutely the audience's fault. Yeah. For, like the, the movies are what they are because of the audience. Mm -hmm. No one else. Like the studios are just playing into what audiences say that they want. And there aren't enough people who do appreciate more art films who do want to see like these action thrillers and these repetitive storylines. And so I guess I just felt like his he was getting mad from what I saw in that one clip. But again, I didn't do any research. So please just ignore me. <laughs> um, I just felt like he was blaming the filmmakers in the same kind of way like Scorsese was. I think filmmakers have a real gripe with Marvel. Mm -hmm. Unless you're a Marvel filmmaker. And I think part of that comes from Look, there's also only a certain amount of money going around, right? In terms of production, in terms of exhibition, audience only has a certain amount of money to spend. There's only a certain amount of money to be spent in production. Mm -hmm. So if you have a movie that is guaranteed to make a billion dollars at the box office, why wouldn't you make it? My Yeah, exactly. But my question, I guess, is like, is he content? Well, first, I can't, I can't think of the last film that he's made. Yeah, he is... Less relevant than Martin Scorsese making this comment, I'll be honest. Yeah. I think he has more clout because he did direct The Godfathers. Mm -hmm. And so that's really his like... Including three. It'll forever be, yeah. It'll forever be what he is. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. They you, you make The Godfather and you can <laughs> say whatever you want kind of thing. That's fair. But I guess like, what does he... Does he want box office numbers for the more artful films like that I just want, I'm not quite sure what he means by that I think his argument is that there was a time when cinema was about the art mm -hmm. and now it's about the commerce, commerce? yeah okay yeah. and that's fair I and that's I think frustrating from a filmmaking perspective because filmmakers 
many of them are not in it for just the money or just the fame. They do want to create something. They're trying to create art. They're trying to say something mm -hmm. with it. And at the end of the day, these Marvel movies aren't really trying to say anything. They are trying to be entertaining. That is their, that is their North Star. Are we an entertaining film? Mm. Right? That's really what it is. Yeah. And maybe you have something like The Eternals that is meant to be a bit more diverse. And is that, that is a big part of its scope. Mm -hmm. But other than that, these movies are not taking risks. They're not really that creative. Even someone like you who is a fan of these movies recognizes that yeah. like yeah there's they're for like, my entertainment they're not for like i yeah. need to find the the story behind this like they don't make you think they don't challenge you i think the thing is real art challenges you not just film but film art like written art whatever that is it's supposed to ignite something in you it's supposed to it really is supposed to make you think it's supposed to be a reflection of society it's supposed to be a lot of things mm -hmm. Marvel is just not. I think for yourself and for even me, that's the case. But I also think that there is the average Joe, for lack of a better term, that is actually really like inspired by things. I think there's probably a lot of little girls who saw Captain Marvel and were like, oh my gosh, like a female superhero. That is so cool. And I think there's purpose in that too. Like as much as I don't enjoy the movie Captain Marvel. <laughs> You know, like there, that's there too. And you have to look at it from all different realms. And, you know, it is unfortunate that commerce takes over, but that's the case. I'm curious though, like, what are people like Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola doing to help, you know, bring forward like more artful films and to have audiences be open to them? Like, because those two specifically, they have the money. There's money in those bank accounts. They could be doing something. What are they doing? I don't know if they are or not. But. And in all fairness, we talked about this during Gangs of Wasipur. They are not necessarily advancing originality themselves. Mm -hmm. Right? They aren't mm -hmm. really, like, let's forget Francis Ford Coppola, who really hasn't made much recently, but Martin Scorsese is directing in a very small window as well. Yeah. Like, there is a certain kind of film he likes to direct with certain kinds of characters. That is that is his sweet spot, and it does do well for him. Someone who I respect maybe less as a filmmaker, like Steven Spielberg, has definitely experimented more. Exactly. And has tried more things, and has really tried to, I think, have a much fuller filmography. Mm-hmm. So this isn't to say that just because Martin Scorsese or Francis Ford Coppola make this comment that it's true. It's a fact that what they're saying is true, despite them having their own, I think, misgivings in their own filmography. The other point I had made to you, though, was that I kind of just like don't want to hear their opinion because they're old white men. And like, I don't think they've really done anything to help diversify the industry. And I think... You know, isn't that a little racist? Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> call, call me. <laughs> no, but I also and think, why is like, that relevant? Why I, does it matter that I'm they're old white well, men? Let me say, <laughs> <laughs> because if you want to talk about showing more artful films, we watch something like Gangs of Wasipur, and Martin Scorsese put his stamp on it and said, "Hey, I think this is really great." What did he do as a privileged white? filmmaker in North America say, hey, North America, pay attention to this Bollywood film. Did he, you know, buy out some theaters and have showings? Did he promote it? Did he do anything with his power 
to say like, these are the things that we should also be watching because there are billions of Indians and there are quite a few in North America who I think would have gone and paid money to go see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my point. (laughs) They may not be doing anything though, but I don't think it matters to be quite honest. And I think... I think this notion that what are they doing to advance diversity in the world, it really is irrelevant, to be quite honest. I don't think Martin Scorsese owes diversity to anybody. He has crafted a genre of film for himself, and this this is me going completely the other way, saying... He is a living legend. He is a genius. He is a art, he is a masterful filmmaker who doesn't really need to be diverse. And I think the other thing is about that argument about like what has he done for diversity? What has anybody, any filmmaker done for diversity really? Because aren't they all telling stories mm-hmm. for themselves? Like, aren't they all telling stories from their own perspective? Because that's what they know. I'm not asking Anurag Kashyap to come in and tell a story about white people in Canada, because what does he know? That's fair, yeah. I guess there's just two different talking points then from what we were originally <laughs> talking about. But that's just what, like, it just, it. I don't know. I just feel like they're whining. And even with, like, Ridley Scott, that one really gets under my skin of, like, yeah. blaming an entire generation for why nobody is seeing your movies and it's like well no you didn't make a very good movie like i'm sorry i just feel like before they make these comments they maybe should look inward instead of outward i will say though that his comment was about the last duel it wasn't about house of gucci i haven't seen the last duel so i can't say if it was a very and it makes it very difficult because it's probably his best film in like years okay interesting yeah it's one, it is, I don't like Ridley Scott either. I'm completely there with you. I think he's quite overrated. Yeah. His films just never hit with me. They mm-hmm. just never work. But The Last Duel actually has some substance to it. Where was the promotion for that film, though? Like That's not on him, him though, though, right? Yeah, no. No, that's fair. Okay, I guess I have to watch it and then I'll... <laughs> and I think Ridley Scott's argument was that when he made The Last Duel, it's a two and a half hour medieval film about rape, right? Which is exactly as it sounds not what people are going to be watching it's not what people want to pay to see but i think that's frustrating because as a filmmaker if you want to tell a story are you saying that a kid it has to fit in a certain window to be successful as someone who saw it do you think it is something people should pay to see yeah it was really good oh okay it was miscast and it had its flaws but very it i'm telling you it was definitely one of his best films of late jodie comer is excellent in it the screenplay is really quite good written by ben matt and nicole hofsner hofsner (laughs) and so i do and i do recommend it and so i think i totally agree i've not seen house of gucci and i will probably agree with your points (laughs) to be quite honest you can rent it now i think can i i think so Oh my god, what a time to be alive. Yeah, I'll watch The Last <laughs> Duel. It's on Disney Plus. So you should. I will watch it. You really it. should. So it's long though, eh? It's almost three. It's almost three. Yeah. But <laughs> again, he's trying something there. Okay. Okay. Well Speaking oh, of trying something. Trying something. <laughs> we thought we watched a movie this week. We did, Nadine. We watched a meet the movie. We did. I chose for us the 2012 documentary by Canadian filmmaker Sarah Polly titled Stories We Tell. I did. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> you did. Let me give us a quick IMDb disco before you talk to me about your choices. Okay. Excellent. A film that excavates layers of myth and memory to find the elusive truth at the core of a family of storytellers. 
That's such a pretentious. Oh, so pretentious, Mita. I didn't write it. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> it's so pretentious. That was really pretentious. And well, I'll say how I feel about the movie after. But that was a really pretentious line. But I, yeah. I did choose it. I did choose stories we mm-hmm. tell. And I chose it for you because I watched this for the first time, I think like around 2012 or 2013, probably. And I I knew that I wanted to include some documentaries on this list because I am very motivated by documentary films. I really like them. It's how I kind of learn. I don't like to watch the news anymore. So if I need to learn anything, I watch a documentary uh-huh. or I watch Seth Meyers videos on YouTube. <laughs> and, I, and I'm very well versed. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, Seth Meyers. So I knew I wanted to include a documentary and we had done a true crime documentary earlier this season mm-hmm. with West of Memphis. But when I was thinking about documentaries, this came into my mind because it's not about a topic that you typically would watch. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much educational. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's not so much educational. Um, as much as it is about making you feel things, which I think is like the purpose of entertainment and the purpose of art. It's to evo- evoke a reaction or an emotion. Um, and so I put it on the list. Mm-hmm. And now we're here. Yeah. And we've watched it. We have. And I want to know what you think. <laughs> but wait. Okay. Before yes. you say it, though, I just want to say that description is very pretentious. But I don't think this documentary is pretentious. And I'm going to leave you with that thought, and now you can go. Okay. I was actually super impressed that you picked this. Oh, wow. I had known about this. I know Sarah Polly, mm-hmm. and I know her work, but I had never gotten around to seeing this when it came out in 2012, and I had heard a lot about it, and I was really quite... I was looking forward to seeing it, because like you're saying, this is a documentary, and documentaries are often about education, mm-hmm. and this isn't. This is a very personal piece of filmmaking, and one of her sisters at one point makes the comment, like, who's going to want to see this? Yeah. Like, it's our family story, and I think that's such a... It's exactly how you think, like, who cares about my life, my story, and all of that? Mm-hmm. But I love that she wasn't deterred by that, and that she still did go to tell the story. I also think we need to say what the story is. Yeah. So spoiler alert here. Yeah. If you're th- we said this the last two. <laughs> last, exactly. <laughs> if you're th- no, less about Amour, but w- definitely about, about the, one the one I, I love. love. If you are thinking about watching this and like don't want to be spoiled, then you can go ahead and watch this. You can rent it on iTunes or YouTube or Cineplex, I think, and go watch it and then come back and listen to us. Mm-hmm. But um, so stories we tell tells the story of Sarah Polly's family growing up in Toronto. And she has one, two, three, four siblings, four older siblings. Um, and there's a significant age difference between her and the last oldest sibling. So she's similar to me. She's a pleasant surprise, <laughs> if you will. Um, and growing up, there was always this like joke. Oh, Sarah doesn't really look like dad. Sarah doesn't really look like dad. And you know, her mother passed away when she was about 11 years old. And then finally, as an adult, this rumor of like Sarah not always looking like her dad came to fruition when they realized that her father was not her biological father. And so stories we tell kind of tells the story of her mother and her father's marriage, what that was like. And then also their family dynamics when Sarah decides to go and search for who her biological father is and when she discovers who it is and how their relationship has come to be. So I didn't know any about that, Mm -hmm. anything about that when I started it. So it was a very interesting watch. I will say overall... I liked it more in the beginning than in the end. Mm, yeah. 
I thought it starts off very strong, like very, very, very strong. And you're really interested to know what's going to happen. What's what's this about? Especially because I think she starts off. I think this is an example of, especially because it's a documentary and she really is movie making. Like we talked about can be a couple of things. It could be entertaining. It could be educational. But here she's really trying to make a point. She's trying to talk about the art of storytelling mm-hmm. and what happens and how people remember ideas and how they kind of pass that on and how, you know, things and shared kind of, amongst each other, but nobody actually yeah. really thinks about things. Yeah, yeah. And how what people remember versus what they don't and what someone else will remember versus what they don't and how you actually piece together the truth. Mm-hmm. And it sounds really pretentious, but it's a very, very novel idea I found. Mm-hmm. And I was really, really intrigued to see like where she was going to take it. Mm-hmm. And at one point, her father, who narrates the movie. Great narrator, is, by the way. Great like, narrator. Yeah. He's And he's doing the voiceover. And she says to him, this is an interrogation. And I'm like, ooh, who are we interrogating? <laughs> like, what's going on? Like, it's, it's, it starts off very intriguingly. And once we kind of get to the crux that like... And you do kind of figure it, you kind of see where it's going. Yeah. Once we kind of get there, it really just becomes very stagnant. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things I took away from it, this was a little bit of the promise of the premise was so strong. And I don't know if she hit the landing on it. So it's like really interesting that you brought that up because I remember watching it the first time and pulling away certain things from the story And, like, remembering those things. Like, they talk a lot about her mother and, like, how vivacious she was and how full of life. But that also she had a really interesting history. She was one of, if not the first Canadian woman to lose a custody battle for her children. Which, like, that thing has always stuck out to me in my mind. Like, I just remembered that. And when I was watching it for this, I think this might be my third viewing. I think I watched it twice before. But when I was watching it this time... I, for some reason, was, like, so set on that being at the beginning of the story. Like, that's how she starts off the story. Interesting. And as I was watching it, I kept thinking, like, did I miss something? Did I miss, like, did I forget? Did I miss them talking about that? Like, I remember it being a bigger thing. And when it did eventually, like, come up in the story, I was like, oh, like, I thought it was a, they made a bigger deal about it than they did. And I feel like that in itself is just, like, proving her point with this documentary is that when you hear a story, you're always going to be attracted to certain things and remember things a certain way and like as your stories play out in your lifetime that's just how it's going to be i do agree with you like watching it this time it does sort of like teeter out towards the end Mm -hmm. and like maybe she doesn't land the ending as you're saying or kind of have a specific point but i think the overall like general tone of this is just so warm and inviting and I feel like mm-hmm. I've been let into their family's lives and I'm just like sitting on the couch talking with them but they're opening up about something that's so private and so personal yeah. like it's just I really love how focused this was and but it wasn't mm-hmm. self-indulgent either because this is her story no that's a very fair point to make it it, it doesn't ever feel self-indulgent or self-serving mm-hmm. like A lesser documentary would have her sit down and her be like, well, this is how I felt when I realized my biological father was not my dad that I grew up with. And like, she doesn't do that. She looks at it from the point of view of her siblings, who this also, it affects in a large way. Yeah. 
And one sister makes the point, She Sarah asks her, like, how do you think this affected the family? And the sister goes, oh, like, I don't think it really made a big deal. And then she pauses and she goes, but all three of us girls got a divorce after yeah. we found out mom had <laughs> cheated on dad and had an illegitimate yeah. child <laughs> with someone. And, like, yeah. it's just those, like, little snippets that made me feel like this was my own family and that... You know, Sarah's not sitting there being like, woe is me. I've lived this like tragic yeah. life under the secrecy. I just really love that approach. And it's not something you would see, especially like when you think about if someone was making this today, if this was somebody's story, somebody from like this specific generation would make it into oh, like a cheesy yeah. reality TV show yeah. or they would make it like there's so many TikTok series of like people telling their family secrets or like doing 23andMe and finding out that they actually have half siblings they never knew about. And like, mm. it's so, it's it's kind of rancid <laughs> when I it's think picky. of it. It's yeah. gross. It makes me feel yeah. sad for them. And this is just the complete opposite of that. And I think she, what she does, even though she doesn't really land that uh, ending, it is very successful. It's interesting because I can totally see everything you're saying. Mm -hmm. And I totally actually agree with everything you're saying. I think for me, I was so excited about what she was trying to get at. And it's interesting you mentioned that thing about her, like, uh, remembering that part of this of, of this movie about, like, her her, having mom. The, her mom and the custody and all of that mm -hmm. and not remembering where it fit and, like, having it. I had watched this Indian movie Luck by Chance recently again mm -hmm. just because I felt like watching it. And my favorite line in that movie is when someone says she's a she's a crocodile in a chiffon sari. <laughs> and I just, I love it as a line. I think it's so, so clever. And I remember it being at the beginning of the film, but it's actually at the end of the film. And the whole time I'm like, did I, did did I, I miss, miss it? it? Did I miss it? Where did it go? It's my favorite line. I was looking forward to hearing it. It takes place 10 minutes before the credits. Yeah. And it's so like, and I was just like, but how? And then I'm so caught on how did I remember it incorrectly? Because right. I've seen this movie multiple times too. Mm -hmm. So I found that, I, like, I totally get what you're saying. And that notion of memory, I always remember from Serial, actually. The first yeah. episode of the first season, Sarah Koenig starts the entire phenomenon if you of haven't podcasting. listened to serial and the theme's about to explain it <laughs> yeah. the entire genesis of podcasting yeah. comes from this one moment sorry i'm getting so excited and hitting the mic <laughs> i hit the Starts table from one moment where she's like do you remember things yeah what did you, you have for breakfast things? last tuesday what did you yeah <laughs> do you remember things correctly and she she does this thing where she interviews a bunch of people and she's like where were you last tuesday what did you do because the whole thing about Adnan Syed in his case was the distance that had passed between when the case was and when the murder took place. A lot of people argued, like, how can you remember what happened on that date? Yeah. And the idea is, is that you remember because it was such a significant thing that or happened that, that people tend to... Yeah. Asia McLean remembers seeing him in the library. Yes. And all these years later, she still remembers because... And she kept the receipts. Like, she still has the information. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> she does. But all this to say that that explanation of memory has always stuck to me. Mm -hmm. And like, sometimes I'll be like, you know, when you just have random thoughts with yourself, and I'm like, what do I remember? Like, what's the furthest memory I actually have? Yeah. And how accurate is it? Right? Like, I know my perspective of things. But like, yeah. did that person actually say that? Or is that what I heard? And like, yeah, yeah, I love that this sort of like deep delves into it a little bit. I don't think it like, really exposes yeah. it. And I think that for me is the disappointing part because I thought I thought the stories would be different. Mm -hmm. 
I thought the family members, the people who were talking about her mother would have different recollections of her. Well, but at the, I think the big thing is, is that everyone had pretty much the same memories of this woman. But so the, when I was first watching this and what I think would be really interesting if she could have done this, she obviously couldn't, mm-hmm. but they don't reveal her mother has passed until about like 20 or 30 minutes into it like it's quite a while until they say like and then mom died yeah and i kept when i was first watching it i kept thinking okay we're hearing a little bit about what michael knows we're hearing a little bit about what her siblings knew i thought they were like pulling it out until we could finally sit down with her mother and her mother would reveal well no this is what yeah Yeah. but um for obvious reasons she couldn't do that (laughs) yes Sarah, I would have been a better film if, no. <laughs> if your mother came back from the dead and confirmed. And some you had her ghost. Yeah. <laughs> but when speaking of ghosts, <laughs> the first time I watched this, I so there are like they show like super eight film reels of like her mother and her prime days. Yeah. I thought it was her, real for a long time. Too. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these are they're actual recreations, but yeah. they're shot on Super 8. So they look yeah. like old film from from that time period. And like the first time I was watching I was like, "Oh my gosh, like they have so much footage of her mom." So much footage. She's yeah. so lucky to like be able to go back and watch all this. Like it's so great that she's got this in the film. Yeah. And then Towards the end, it's revealed like no, it's it's paid actors <laughs> yeah. that are are doing this. But I just thought that like, oh, what a brilliant way for a documentarian to like add some life to yeah. their own film and give you a visual that they normally wouldn't have, and then also trick your viewers too into thinking yeah. like this is my mother, like this is what it was like living with her. She did, you know, like ski on rivers and like things like that. Yeah, so it, I was like half the movie before I figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> At least half. And I was like, wait. Wait a minute. I think there was one specific scene and I was just like, wait, how did they have access to this? <laughs> I was like, there's no way a camera was Who here when this like, happened. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, this can't be real. And this must be rain accidents and all of that. Yeah, I think I think this is one of those movies that regardless of how I feel about it, or regardless of what, what I think, I can applaud sincerely the the doing of it. Yeah. Like, there's a really something, she really goes out of her way to tell a story mm-hmm. and to to do something. And like it's, like you're mentioning, I think there is a level of catharsis for her yeah. in this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a life-altering event. Yeah. And she's found a way to kind of deal with it in a way that is a soothing for her. Like, she, I guess, in, in technically speaking, like, she could have done anything. She could have made a self-indulgent film. Yeah. Right? Like, if that's what she wanted to do, it might have not been very good, but she could have done it if she wanted to. Well, she's she could. She's been nominated for a, the best screenplay in 2006. Like, she can write yeah, a movie. Exactly. Yeah. She can write a movie. She knows. Yeah, exactly. So she completely has it in her capacity to do that. But the fact that she had held so much restraint and wanted this more to be about, I think, something else and just use her story as a mechanism of talking about that thing. Mm-hmm. That I actually really liked. Yeah. There is one thing. And we talked about this very recently, actually, in The One I Love. Oh, okay. About women who cheat. Oh, yes. And how it's more often forgiven. No, that is like actually my watching it this time. That was my biggest strife of like, they're really just playing this off of like, oh, mom wasn't happy. So it was okay that she went and had an affair. I think... I and th- had another, she had an affair, had a child and lied about the paternity of that child. I also think this is, so I think she found out about 
uh, Michael not being her father around like 2007. And this okay. is, she started maybe doing these interviews like years later. So I think yeah. there's been some time where they probably like work through things. They also seem like they're very Caucasian. And so they probably went to therapy <laughs> and nobody guilted them for going to therapy. So yeah, they true, probably true. did work through some yeah. of these issues. <laughs> that's just an assumption on my part though. I don't actually know. Yeah. yeah like they kind of are just so like, nonchalant about she's it. forgiven really easily yeah, for what she did for what which, happened which, and what she did was borderline psychotic at the same time their mother has been dead for quite some time too so like they might have also done work in terms of like dealing with those things and like having to deal like i've gone through it of like being upset about something that has happened in the past yeah. that you're not going to be able to have any closure over. You kind of yeah. just have to like roll with it and be like, okay, there's nothing I can do about this. And so I think maybe that's where a lot of their sentiment comes from. But you are right in that like, even from Sarah's point of view, yeah. like I, I would die to know how she actually feels about it. Because one, yeah. she doesn't know her mother that well. Her mother died when she was 11 years old. Yeah. So she only knows this small snapshot of her. Yeah. And, like, how do you feel knowing that she held on to that your entire life and mm -hmm. didn't tell you something? And the thing that I would have loved to have been kind of dug into a little bit more is if Michael knew. Because I think Michael is her father I, or yeah. her, her dad that she grew up with. I think that he must must have known. I think that at some point. Like that she that she told him or that he just had an inkling? I think she might have told him. Okay. Yeah. Because she was telling, she told um, her friends on the phone, one of her kids overheard her talking, like, I don't know who the father of this baby is. Like, I yeah. think she might have told him. And I think he just, he probably felt like he was being the better man and saying that I'm still going to raise this child as it's my own. Yeah. But I, I do have an inkling that he might have known. I don't think that's really explored. And the other thing I don't think is explored is that hmm. her biological father, Her Henry, Harry? Harry. Harry knew about her. Yeah. And like just accepted the fact that he wasn't going to be a part of his daughter's life. Yeah. I think that's not looked at with as much interrogation as maybe there should have been. But I think that was the mother's choice. Like I, I think he let Nadine, her kind of control if you it. knew, you're a parent, if you knew that you had a kid out yeah. there. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would be very different. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But see, this is the thing. Even in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And especially in the movie, like, look, all the things you're saying could very well be true. Like, they could have had the time to deal with it and all of that. And now it's, they're looking back on it in hindsight with rose-colored glasses. It's yeah. very easy now. But at the end of the day, the movie's no point does anyone say, I was angry at her. No. Like, the one son kind of says that he was upset with her. Oh, yeah. Mark, I think. Yeah, and he was just like, how can you do that to your family? And yeah. he's the one, one of the sisters makes a note, like, the three girls in our family got divorces because we just didn't realize who yeah. we were anymore. Mark held on to his family with dear life because he realized, yeah. like, this is the most important thing to me. How could somebody do something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact is that so everyone got over it. And at no point were you angry. Like, even the husband, yeah. Michael, is kind of just like, like oh, she did it. <laughs> I, yeah, she did it. I was inattentive. And so that's why she did it. It's like, yo, man. I actually firmly believe when people cheat, they don't cheat in a vacuum. I think if she cheated, it, he had a part to play in it. Mm. I'm not denying that. But I really have a problem with this portrayal of women who are reckless and philanderers and they make these terrible decisions somehow being exonerated and forgiven. And men, when they make the same 
things are villainized. And, and I find it. And this, it's not like this was a one time thing. At the end of the movie, we discover. Yes, that exactly. She has slept with two different men. Yes. Yeah. So and like, they just leave that with us. Like, it's just like, yep, that's there too. So I, I think it's too. interesting that she's allowing you to make judgments on her mother, though. I think that comes maybe from a slight place of anger. I'm, and that's fair, though. She's not trying to protect her. Yeah. No. And I think that's fair. Yeah. I think she's kind of just like, you had your chance to tell your story. Mm-hmm. You, didn't. you didn't. So now I'm going to tell my story. You've left me to pick up the pieces of what you yeah, did. Yeah, you left me to pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. I do think Michael knew. And like, it's just crazy to me that one of the brothers was like pretty sure he knew, but he like never said anything yeah. until like he was an adult. I was a little taken aback with the nonchalantness yeah. of the call. But like you're saying, time. But the other thing, though, is like what I did like about this. There's probably so much stuff that went down when I was a kid that I'm just like fully not aware of. Yeah. And sometimes like little things will come up every now and then about our family that I was like, what? Like nobody ever told me this or yeah. like I didn't know or there are like family secrets and everybody else just sort of brushes it off. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, like that person was married once before or <laughs> like this yeah. and that, right? <laughs> yeah. And like. I guess it's it, that is kind of what it's like, though. Do you have anything? I think like that's that? one thing internally. Mm-hmm. Like it is. It's totally like that in my family too. It's one thing internally, but I think when you're when you're telling those things, I think it's important to be authentic about it mm-hmm. and not what you think the perception should be. Mm. I don't know if she's being inauthentic, though. I think that is how they have coped with it or how they've come to terms with it. Is they kind of, and like maybe there's a lot of work that they need to be doing and it's not that they've done it. They just don't know that it's there. maybe. Right? That's true. It's also like us passing judgment on their family situation. But she's also opened the doors to that. She's also opened the door to that. Yeah. Yeah. Which leads me to the big question I wanted to ask you before we get into the the ratings. Okay. Bita, do you have a story to tell? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Not, and I'm not asking you to tell it. So you, I think okay. I have thought about, and I, I, I will start and say, so it gives you some time to kind okay, of think thank about you. it. I think I have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. I think I've lived a life and I think I've lived, I, I think there's more to me than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. And I think there's more about my life that isn't necessarily like public. And I do think I have a story to tell and not just for my self-indulgence. Yeah. I think that's the thing. I think I have a story to tell that could... Maybe in my mind's eye, I think I could help people. I Mm -hmm. think I could be informative. I think those things. Do you think you have a story to tell? I opened up about my story to tell last week. You did. (laughs) I did. I do have a story (laughs) to tell. I think that I too, there are things in my life that have occurred that people could relate to or that I could Mm -hmm. share and maybe have a different perspective on and that people could learn from. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Sarah, if you want to make another documentary, <laughs> just reach out to me and I yeah. will we'll work on it together. But I do think I do. I Yeah, I have a story to tell. I mean, I'm only 30 years old, Nadim. Like, although yeah. this this happened to Sarah when she was really young. Like yeah. this. And like the other thing, they don't talk about it. But this is like right off the coattails of her writing an Oscar nominated film. And like, yeah, it's they a never big, mentioned she's it. a Canadian actor director filmmaker writer and it's pretty it's amazing that yeah you know like it's a big deal i and i I don't think they stress that because i think if people who didn't know who sarah polly was watch this they would be so uninterested you think you're more interested because of her celebrity 
Me personally, yeah, because like okay. I love celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you know that or not. But yeah, like I I that's that's part of the intrigue. I think if mm. I did watch it separately, I was like, oh, this is a really interesting story to tell. Yeah. But I think that is a part of it of like this person that is kind of in the in pop culture is known has this like deep family secret that yeah. that was exposed. Although, have you watched Three Identical Strangers? I have, yeah. That too is like they're not famous, but like there is this deep secret. Although I feel like the secret in that one was kind of a letdown. But yeah, it, it was 100% a letdown. <laughs> it is. That is scary to think, though, that they were doing so many experiments and there's so many twins yeah. that are separated that don't know that they've been separated. Yeah. And I just spoiled three identical strangers. <laughs> <laughs> it's OK. It's um, not that great. But, you know, like I think that that brings something to the table. I think maybe that's a lot of how this got made, too. Although, no, it was National Board of Canada, right? But... She was a celebrity who had a story to tell, That's so she fair. got public funding for it. Yeah. That's, I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this got made because she was, a, she was an Oscar-nominated writer. Mm-hmm. Sequel, prequel ideas. I kind of want to know, like, after this was all revealed and, like, people know and you've, you know, exposed your, your siblings, these are your actual siblings, you didn't use actors for it, which was another thing I wanted to point out. Netflix has been doing this thing with some of their documentaries where they'll have, like, they'll be interviewing the subject matter of the documentary. And then towards the end of the movie, it's revealed that they're actually a paid actor pretending to be the subject. And it's so That's annoying. Awful. <laughs> it's so yeah. annoying. That would piss me off. I hate it so much. And I'm so glad she didn't do something like that in this. It's like, I'm actually. What seeing... documentaries have done that? There's some like um, crime, TV crime ones. There's like one about this girl, like for security reasons, they actually couldn't like interview Fine. her. Like she needs yeah. to be undercover. But yeah. And then I think Misha with the Wolves does it. But I think she's not. That wasn't a Netflix documentary. It's like made by somebody else. But yeah, they've been doing that. Yeah. I've noticed. I'm paying attention, Netflix. I don't approve of that. Right. They So they have like the people talking like they're the person. And then they yeah. on top of that have reenactments with a different actor. So it's really annoying. Anyways, <laughs> I'm I'm glad like, that we got to like. meet your real siblings and like yeah. got to hear their voices because they also they just are they're so nice like they're they're interesting they yeah, seem like a really characters. interesting family and like the eldest brother is hilarious. <laughs> you like him because he's gay. That's not. <laughs> you probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> No, he's hilarious, and I you like him because he's gay. I like anyone, regardless of their sexuality. <laughs> but yeah, they're just like an enjoyable family to watch. But sequel prequel, like, oh yeah. So I would like to see <laughs> they're an enjoyable family to watch, and I would like to see like what was it like for them once this had been released and people had watched it. Do they get recognized on the streets of Toronto? Because I yeah. imagine they might. They and. Might. What was like, because a lot of them also still work within like the Canadian film industry, like their their mother had a casting agency and like yeah. a casting agent and like was well known within mm-hmm. Canada. And so as some of them like fell into that business as well. And mm-hmm. I want to know like, what has that been like for them since this documentary has come out? And like, what were the repercussions? Did this like bring up anything in you that you felt like, oh, I need to deal with this better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then I also think. It would be interesting if she did write a film inspired by her mother's experience in Montreal. She might. She might get to that point. You think? Maybe. 
Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe this is this was the story she had to tell that she's done with juicy it. Juicy if she does it though. That yeah. is so juicy to do that. Yeah. Did you have any? No, I did kind of want to know like the the in between, like when things were found out mm-hmm. versus now when shit hit the fan. I want to see the drama. <laughs> right? I don't want the of, like the siblings of it. calling each other and being yeah. like, "Um, did you know that Sarah's not her sister?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. <yeah. laughs> She's our half sister. Like all of that. Yeah. I want to know. I want the people to be angry. I want to see the raw emotion. I do think it was probably easier for them to like cope with because the two older siblings are from their mother's first marriage. Yeah. And that too. so they do have half siblings. Like it's not yeah, like that's already. a foreign concept to them. But yeah. Do you want to launch into your rating now? I will. Which I'm I'll, very curious because I'm not sure I can pin it just yet. I'll go into it. Um, yeah. Okay. I really did enjoy watching this for the third mm-hmm. time. I was a little worried going into it because it has been some time since the first few times I've seen it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, like, did I remember this to be more exciting than it actually was? Yeah. Is this going to be boring? <laughs> Is this like because towards the end it does kind of teeter off like yeah yeah the juice has kind of um been squeezed out so to speak Mm -hmm. and so there isn't much there that you can really um lick (laughs) that's yeah (laughs) that's a terrible visual sorry (laughs) um but the juice has been squeezed out and so i was a little bit concerned but the second I, i did decide to buy it because i remember liking it a lot and the price just seemed reasonable and i was like well whatever if i own it i own it the moment i put it on though i was like transported back to me like oh i enjoy this it starts yeah. off really well she gets the ball rolling there and you know as i said these siblings are really interesting to watch their dynamic with like one another they'll call each other out in their interviews mm-hmm. and yeah. the way they speak about their family you can sense their love for one another you can sense that like They've also been through some shit like they, you know, it's not all hunky dory like they're not smiling their way through this. Like there's moments where there are some siblings who like need to take a beat who are like are crying about what's going Mm -hmm. on as much as we said, like they're very nonchalant about it. But there is raw emotion there. And I think that Sarah is able to capture that in a very relatable, approachable way. And like I said, it's just it's the opposite of being self-indulgent. And it's just so fascinating to me to give us something so personal, but still kind of be removed from it in a way. Like she's not the focus. I am very much more interested in like the mother and their father, their marriage Mm -hmm. and like what that looked like, all of her siblings, you know, feelings towards it. And I think that's just a, it's a really beautiful thing that she's done for her family and not just for herself. I think she's given her family something to look at yeah. as well. And I think as a documentary, you're meant to walk away with something. You're meant to wa- learn something. And so, as I said before, this isn't educational, but you walk away with like your own thoughts on family, on marriages, on secrets, on storytelling, how mm-hmm. you, you know, memories, how you remember things, how you're influenced. And this makes you think and feel and i think that that's so important and like is missing from a lot of documentaries today like mm-hmm. a lot of the ones i'm watching are like documentary series or like small movies about true crime yeah. or just like stories that are really just meant to be self-indulgent and dramatic but this makes you feel so much and it's without any farce mm-hmm. it is it just is and i enjoyed it tremendously and so i'm going to give it Four stars. Okay. Yeah. 
solid rating, Ada. Thank you. <laughs> like I mentioned, I'm really glad I watched this. Mm-hmm. This is not a movie that would have been on my radar. And I did, I found it interesting from the get-go. Like it really did kind of hook you in. It starts off incredibly strong. There's a great premise. And I think like like the best documentaries, the goal of this isn't to be anything other than a film. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like she's not she's not sitting like she's trying to tell a story, but she's not sitting down trying to be like prophetic or she's not trying to be she's not trying to be bigger than the film. If, yeah. Like if I'm making sense. She's not being like, preachy. She's not being preachy. This is a very intimate story. Mm-hmm. And she is trying to she's trying to do two things. She is trying to tell an intimate personal family story and also kind of document how storytelling works. Yeah. And like the notion of storytelling as a as a form of communication. Mm-hmm. I think she is successful at one more than the other. But I also recognize and appreciate that as a filmmaker, in order to rem- not have the movie feel so, I think, self-indulgent and mm-hmm. too personal, she almost had to try to find a narrative structure in what she was doing. I think she discovered that. I don't think that was on purpose. Yeah. And I think she works it very well. It's a very well structured. It is short. It's like an hour and forty five minutes, so it it does definitely feel it's an easy it's a it's an easy watch. But by about like forty five minutes, you're kind of like, okay, I know everything. Where is this going? And then there's still about like an hour to go, mm-hmm. and it definitely takes a lot to get to the end. And there's no more revelation. There's no more surprise, and that's I don't know whose fault that is. Mm. I don't know if that's as an audience our fault for having an expectation or Sarah's fault for making us think there would be more. I think she's, because the last part is a lot more about her, sorry to interrupt you, is about her biological father and like how their relationship has formed since. And I think she's paying respect to him in a lot of ways because they do explain like, even though he wasn't involved and like he knew about her, that did take Mm -hmm. a toll on him in some way or another. And I think she's paying respect. And I think, I think as a viewer, you want, you want something more. And I think that's probably more our fault, but. And that's fair. I would recommend this. I think it's a really nice documentary. It's a simple documentary to watch. It doesn't feel heavy also the way a lot of documentaries can. Mm -hmm. This isn't like a Dear Zachary. Oh my God, I can't, I can't anymore. (sighs) It's not something like that. It's a lot easier to watch and be absorbed and think. It's easy on the heart and it's easy on the mind, but it also isn't thoughtless. Mm -hmm. I think overall the feeling I'm left with is not exuberance and not like, oh, that was amazing. It was like, oh, that was good. I liked it. So for that, I'm going to give it three stars. Three stars for Nadim. I'm glad you liked it, though. I think there's nothing not to like. Right? It's not like... It's not... There's nothing offensive. I think it's interesting. It's whether you're going to like it or love it. Yeah. There was one thing that I wanted to bring up that I didn't... Yes, please. At the end of last week's episode, you talked about Amour and how this was a depiction of a marriage, Mm -hmm. something that a documentary could never really capture. Mm -hmm. This documentary does look at Michael and... Oh, I'm forgetting her mother's name. Donna? No. Don? Don. Sarah Poli's mother. Yeah. Looks at Michael and his wife's marriage as well and his real life 
it's just different than what we've seen in more. Do you feel like this documentary actually does show you what a marriage can look like? No. And here's why. You don't get her point of view? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you don't get her point of view. And I think the fact is she died so many years ago that I don't buy that people were not angry about these revelations. I think that they can in retrospect have feel whatever they feel. Mm-hmm. But... I just find that impossible to think that they were like, oh, she had an affair and she hit the paternity of her child. It was tough for her. You know, like, I don't buy that. And I don't buy his reasoning. I don't buy those things. Like, I think in retrospect, you could, he can look at it and be like, I can see why she did what she did and my own responsibility in it. But I don't think he was just like, oh, cool, let me raise this kid as my own. Hmm. You know, so I don't think we're really getting the full picture. I think we maybe didn't get that out of respect for her family too maybe they were against absolutely exposing that which by all means that's fine yeah absolutely totally respect that but as a result i don't think we get the full picture of their marriage and her name is diane her name is diane Diane. it was d i knew it was yes okay but that was stories we tell yes it was yes now it's time yes exactly for a game called Mm -hmm. different characters same world. Okay. okay, I have a question for you before we go. Oh, no. <laughs> I had a movie picked out. Okay. This was on the list for a while. Let me guess, you didn't check if it's available. No, okay. that's not it. <laughs> it's more that it's another serious film. I can do it. Can you? I can. So I'm, giving you t- I'm giving you two options. Yeah. This is the movie that was intended. Okay. Or Uh I did have another movie that was on my list that I took off that is significantly more lighthearted. So I get the choice. You get the choice. Okay. The rest of your list, because how many, you, I only have two left, right? I have, yeah. So I have three. You have three left. Okay. The other two on a scale of one to 10, Mm -hmm. how serious are they as a collective? The last one is fun. Okay. Serious but fun. Okay. And this one that we're watching that now, we made watch today. Fun or meet the fun. There's I think meet the fun too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and this one that we may or may not watch today that is serious. If we don't watch it today, we are watching it next week, next time. Okay. So I'm just sort of like delaying things, and then I'm removing one of your choices. No. So this this fun one. Okay. <laughs> I've already taken off the list. I have another serious one. If you pick serious one from today, uh-huh. it'll be fit in with another serious one next week. But if I pick fun one from today... Then we'll have serious one next week. And then another fun one. Fun one, yeah. So do I want two funs and a serious or two seriouses and a fun? Yeah. Interesting. But I might change it. If you pick serious today, I might put this other one Mm, let's do serious because I think based on my last two choices, okay. I think there will be more of a, a balance. More. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to regret this, aren't I? No, you won't. <laughs> okay. You won't. Okay. I'm going to give you two actors uh-huh. and one director. Okay. Okay. Mm. And there is an easy, easy way to do this. Okay. But I'm going to give you the hard way first. Oh, thanks. <laughs> because I, when I give you the easy way, you'll figure it out. Okay, we'll but see. Let's have a little fun with it. I don't know. My brain hasn't been working these days. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Jerry Conlon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dwayne. Okay. And Reed Rothschild. Okay. okay. And your timer starts now. Jerry Conlon, Dwayne, and Reed what? Rothschild. Uh, that one sounds really familiar to me, but I can't. Have I seen any of these? Do you know if I've seen them? You have seen at least two of these. At least two of them. Oh, okay. I'm not sure about the third one, but you've definitely seen two of them. Jerry Conlon. I don't know why that's 30 seconds. Like sticking out to me. I'm not going to get them, so I'll just keep talking. Um, <laughs> Reed Rothschild. Dwayne. <laughs> Dwayne. Dwayne. Isn't that from 30 Rock? No. Um, <laughs> what's his name? Defuan. Defuan. <laughs> 10 seconds. Uh, my single, my single is how it's going. <laughs> <laughs> my single is dropping. dropping. My it's single dropping. dropping. <laughs> okay, that was one minute. Okay, now I'm going to give you yeah. the easy ones. Okay, I'm okay. not going to get them either. <laughs> no, you will. Okay. Alex Jones. Okay. Dirk Diggler. Oh, okay. And Abraham Lincoln. Mm, so Mark Wahlberg is Dirk Diggler. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln is Daniel Day-Lewis? Mm-hmm. What's a Daniel Day-Lewis Mark Wahlberg movie? And what was the third oh, name? I remember I said one of them was director. Oh, Spielberg and... Alex Bo- Jones. Alex Jones. Okay, wait. Spielberg is Lincoln. Spielberg and Mark Wahlberg. Spielberg and Mark Wahlberg. Why am I not... Spielberg <laughs> <laughs> and Mark... Maybe if I say it like this. <laughs> and what was it? Alex Jenkins? Alex Jones. Alex Jones? I don't know oh, why. I, don't think, I actually don't think you're going to get I'm it. I'm not going to get it. Can you tell me? Okay. Spielberg Alex and Mark jo- Wahlberg? <laughs> you picked the wrong director. He didn't Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln is Danley D- Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. Oh. Alex Jones mm-hmm. is Paul Dano. Oh. So what are we watching? Because Dirk Diggler is who? Mark. No, P.T. Anderson. Oh, P.T. Anderson. <laughs> P.T. We're not doing another P.T. Anderson. P.T. Anderson, Paul Dano, Daniel. Day- oh, Phantom Thread. No, <laughs> we're not we're watching. There will, there will be, be blood. blood. <laughs> I didn't I know really Paul thought Dano you would get that. No, I didn't know Paul Dano was in it. Oh, there we go. Okay, I was so certain that like Mark Wahlberg and Steven we, Spielberg. Yeah, I was like, oh, Mita, we are going in the wrong direction on this. <laughs> I told okay, you, so you, my brain's it. not there. You picked the serious one. Okay, I actually am glad we're doing that because, listeners, last season we did, was it last season or this, everything is a mud? Last muck. season we did <laughs> no, season? Uh, no Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men. And I want, I know that those two movies were one filmed at the same time in the same location and two, the front runners for the Oscars that year. So I yeah. think we will get a really good snapshot yeah. of what that was like we also talked a lot about pt today so it'll be interesting great because i left licorice pizza with so much admiration (laughs) but yes that is for next week there will be blood Mm -hmm. do you have parting words before the blood i I was gonna um do the milkshake line because i know i know well not that (laughs) 
I do have some parting words that are the words of Margaret Atwood, but they were borrowed for this film and we are borrowing them for this podcast. When you're in the middle of a story, it isn't a story at all. I really like that line. Yeah. It's very Margaret Atwood. And Sarah Paulson. Polly. Oh my God. (laughs) Polly. I'm really not there. (laughs) That's going to be my new intro. How are you? I'm not there. I'm really not there. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening, friends. Please like, subscribe, share, and rate and review. And we will see you next week for There Will Be Blood. Bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Movies to Watch Before the End of the World, sponsored by No One. You can follow us on Instagram at Movies to Watch Pod, on Twitter at Movies the Number Two Watch Pod, on the TikTok at Movies to Watch Pod, or send us an email at Movies to Watch Pod at gmail.com. As always, keep your pants on and don't forget to smell the Kevin Bacon. <laughs>